The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Well, we are back in once again as we get ready for another weekend. And this time we've got a world title fight. Where else but right back in San Antonio, Texas. The enchiladas and the green chili flowing yet again at the Alamo Dome as uh, Mark Magsayo and Ray Vargas will be the headlining fight for the Showtime Premier Boxing Champions a card coming up on Saturday night, WBC featherweight title. We're here to talk about that fight, that card, heavyweights in England also fighting. How much should we pay attention to War Chisora and Kubrat Pulev? We're going to talk about all of that and much more here as part of the pod. I am merely the somewhat capable host. He is our insider, our content partner on Big Fight Weekend. Dan Rayfield is back aboard. Uh, since last we talked, we've had the July 4th holiday with all the fireworks, with all the food. We've survived. And now another F, fights. We got fights this weekend. How are you feeling? I'm looking forward to a little bit of action this weekend, a little bit more than last weekend. Let's hope so. Let's hope that. But, you know, we did have a title fight upset last weekend uh, with Jai Opataya of Australia pulling off the upset. So we got a title fight this weekend, a world title fight uh, to get to. Again, a reminder, however you found this podcast, social media link, uh, whether you found us through the Big Fight Weekend website, through Dan's Substack under Fight Freaks Unite, make sure you're following or subscribing. We've got tremendous podcast content. Uh, again, we come in in the preview mode on Fridays, Big Fight Weekend preview. We come in in the recap mode after the weekend, Fight Freaks Unite. So the preview usually out on Friday morning, recap usually out late Sunday night, Monday morning. Uh, and we look forward every weekend to being able to preview and then recap. All you got to do is follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and you get us automatically without even being prompted. You'll get an alert when a new show is out. Thank you again to more and more and more of you that are finding us and are listening to us as we keep saying, keep rating and reviewing the podcast. We have already given away the Tyson Holyfield hat. Dan knows this from their first fight dubbed finally November, 1996 uh, for the Tyson um, uh, Holyfield showdown in Las Vegas. That was not the ear biting. That was the second fight in June of 97 that we just had the 25th anniversary of. So we've already given that hat away. If you continue to rate and review us on Apple podcast, Dan has got a stellar poster from the recent undisputed lightweight World title win by Devin Haney in Australia over George Cambosis uh, in front of 40,000-plus in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, killer fight poster, right? Prop it one more time that we're going to give away to somebody at random that's been rating us and reviewing us, Dan. For sure. And all the people that have rated us and reviewed us who didn't win the hat that, by the way, never sat on your dome Correct. until you gave it away. Uh, all those people get to be into the entry and all the people that hopefully will rate and review us uh, – We'll be we'll be uh, in the in the next contest. We'll do it in the next couple of weeks. And uh, like I said, I've got that minty fresh poster all the way from Australia, eight thousand miles away, that I'll send off to the lucky winner who sends us uh, a screenshot on our social media of mm -hmm. their review. And uh, I'm happy to happy to do it. I got I'm a few looking, extras. Got to take care of the peeps. We got to take care of it. I'm looking at three or four more people that since we did the uh, Fight Freaks Unite recap that did just that. Again, rate us or review us, take a screenshot, tag Dan on social media, tag Big Fight Weekend or both. We will see that, and we're drawing someone at random. Uh, again, a shout-out to my guy, Homer. Homer is in the uh, – he's not far from you, I think. He's in the Washington, D.C. area. I, I, can we take – Twitter avatar pictures at their word. He appears to be a guy, I would say, like late 20s, early 30s, and he's an attorney, and he's a big fight fan, and I've been in communication with him, and he is stoked about getting the Tyson Holyfield hat. So Homer rated us and reviewed us, took the screenshot, sent it in. I did the random draw. Dan saw it all. We've given him the hat. So there we go on that. Uh, so hold on. If he lives in the D.C. area. Do I have to drive it over to his house? I don't know. I will be sending it. You do not have to be courier. You do not have to be uh, Dan Raphael prime uh, driver. Um, no, you do not. But yes, he is. Okay. He is in that area. And so I thought I would just point that out. But for all the peeps, wherever you're hearing us, I don't care if you're in Minnesota or if you're in Madagascar, wherever you're here, Madagascar might be a problem. Let me rephrase. It might cost us a little more to send it to you if you're in Madagascar, wherever you are, we will get you a fight poster from Haney and Cambosis. Uh, we'll hook that up for somebody. Continue to rate and review. 
and uh, and we will do that. All right, so some news to get to. Fight previews coming up a little later. We've got a special guest too. You had a recent one-on-one conversation with former junior light, uh, former junior welterweight. Let me say it right. World champ Danny Garcia, who unsuccessfully challenged for the welterweight world title a couple of times, including most well, recently against Errol Spence. He right? also had a welterweight title for a while. He had a version of it. All right, so he had a version yeah. of it, but he challenged for the unified title with Errol Spence in his last fight. Hasn't fought since December of 2020. He's now Dan going to compete as a junior middleweight, and that's upcoming at the end of the month. And you had a chance to talk to him, and they're going to hear that conversation coming up. Yeah, he's headlining on Showtime July 30th at Barclays Center in Brooklyn, a place where he has made his second home. He's from Philadelphia, but he's fought as a main event in Barclays Center many, many times, including the very first fight card they ever had there uh, uh, almost a decade ago, be almost a year, be almost 10 years to the day uh, when he returns for this fight. But anyway, he's fighting Jose Benavides Jr., uh, a a fighter from the standpoint of weight similar to Danny, who was fighting in the 140-pound weight class, fought at welterweight, now fighting at junior middleweight. So Danny, he was the bonafide champion at 140 pounds. He won a title at 147. He's fought everybody under the sun. He's been a a guy that has dared to be great many times by taking on the best in the business. And uh, he's coming off uh, about a year and a half uh, layoff. And we had a good conversation. Uh, I've been covering Danny's career since he turned pro. I've uh, crazy as it sounds, by the way, of all the fighters I've covered fights of in person, I'm pretty sure that the fighter I've been present for in person more than any other fighter in my entire career is actually Danny Garcia. I've been ringside for probably over 30 of his fights. And that was a perfect, it's a perfect storm of him being an East coast fighter who fought on tons of big shows as a prospect that I covered where, you know, the big guys uh, were in the main event and he was coming up in four and six and eight rounders on the undercard. Then he became a main event, uh, fought many big fights, plus fought a lot on the East coast. You take all that together I've been at Danny Garcia fights uh, more times than I can you. count. He can't get rid of you. He it's can't. I was at his, I was at his pro debut when he won his world championship. When he, you know, <laughs> when he did all kinds of stuff. So uh, look, Danny's. Uh, I know he gets a lot of uh, stick, as they say, on social media for some of his, uh, uh, some of his uh, fight selection of opponents and the way he's handled his competitive career. But Danny Garcia's fought a lot of top guys. Uh, some people get on his case because of his. A father who's outspoken, his trainer, Angel Garcia. Um, but the point is, Danny, in my mind, has always been a good guy, hell of a fighter, and, uh, you know, never left the fans uh, when he did get in the ring, you know, thinking he didn't give anything but his best effort. An excellent tease. Hear more from Swift Garcia himself in just a few minutes on this year podcast. Little news of the week at the moment. First, some housekeeping. And look, I'm the first one to admit, you and I are developing our relationship. We have a good rapport. We're kind of like-minded. We like a lot of the same things. We're around the same age. We're both parents. We're dealing with all kinds of things. All I'm going to say is twin 14-year-old girls and hormones. Hello. All right, moving <laughs> on from the, from that. We, we are developing a that, good, right? That's a lot different than my, I have one, I don't have twins. I have one son. He's nine. Yes. I think that's a different scenario mm. than 14 year old twin be grateful. girls. Yes. Uh, hormones, not a factor there at the moment. So be grateful on that for as long as it lasts. I wish you well. So the, the relationship is good. The yin and the yang, especially, and I'm a self-deprecating guy as it is, especially when you keep me in line and smack me when I get out of line, but I got to get <laughs> on you. All right, because you were smacking me about the Muhammad Ali act the other night. And I'm like, okay, when we got done taping that podcast, do I not remember all this correctly? Did I not get this straight previously? What is, what is wrong here? So just to bring it back to what we were talking about, you brought up that in this WBC case that the manager of both Jose Ramirez and, uh, and Jose Zapata is the same guy. So then I shot back, well, hey, that used to be a bigger problem and a bigger deal before the Muhammad Ali Act. And so we got into the whole thing and you were saying the Muhammad Ali Act is there for promoters so that the fighters know what they're getting. Okay, yes, it is. This is the Congressional Act. We had to have an act of Congress, Dan Rayfield, to try to start (laughs) straightening this out. The act of Congress took place in 1999 when they passed it. John McCain was the co-sponsor of the bill, the senator from Arizona, the late senator, the former Republican nominee for president a man who once again mentioned Dan Rayfield at one point on the floor of the U.S. Senate, confirmed, confirmed, he mentioned you in in referencing uh, all the troubles, trials, and tribulations. All right, so they passed the Muhammad Ali Act. Bill Clinton signed it into law. 
And it does bar, it's in the Muhammad Ali Act, promoters from being managers, managers from being promoters, and managers from being able to manage both fights. Now, I'm smart enough to know this without you smacking me again. Just because there's a U.S. law that says you can't do it, who's actually enforcing it? That's a whole nother argument. That's that's that. the way. That's the worst part of the Muhammad Ali sure, Act is that sure. it doesn't, you know, any law has to have an enforcement mechanism. Yes. If the well, speed limit matter. is 70 okay. miles an hour, so, but you got to no understand you police left, officer to pull you over. Right, right. If no there's not a cop, if there's not a cop there, it doesn't matter if it's 70 or 80 or 65 or whatever the limit is, but you got to understand you sent me into psychological turmoil last weekend because I'm well, sitting back going, did I not remember this correctly when it happened? And here's why I didn't have time at the end of the last podcast. In the late 1990s, here we go back to one of my faves and your fave too, Winky Wright. When Winky Wright was coming up as a contender before being a world champion in the 1990s, and I was I was closely associated with him because he was fighting in the Tampa Bay area where I was doing local radio, and we were putting him on the radio, and we were keeping up with his fights. He mainly fought in Europe. He wasn't on TV, et cetera, et cetera. So I remember cozying up with his camp, with Dan Birmingham, his trainer, who's still around. He's the trainer for Keith Thurman. He's been the trainer for other champions like Jeff Lacey uh, and others, world champs. And, and Birmingham kept saying to me, we've got to have help at, at, at some kind of level because this is just rigged and ridiculous, in particular with Don King singling him out, that he's the promoter. He's the manager for both fighters. He has options for three to five fights on everybody. And so I remember when this got passed in 99 and 2000, they were having, they were rejoicing on, okay, finally we can start to have title fights where we don't have to worry about being beholden to King or anybody else for three to five fights after it's over because they can't be the promoter and the manager. So what I'm jokingly saying to you is I remember doing all of that, but I thought I'd gotten it wrong, but actually it's in that Muhammad Ali act that you're not supposed to be the promoter and the manager in these big championship fights. Again, who enforces that? that? Different but argument. That, TJ, that's what I said. That was the law. And by the way, there's nothing that prevents a manager from having both sides as long as it's disclosed and there's uh, a certain the element Ali of- Act talks about firewalls of not having the manager be the manager for both, conflicts of interest. I mean, it's right no, in but, there. But, but, yeah. but it's okay if, if both, as long as the two, as long, look, if Ramirez and Zapata happens, which I'm assuming it will, mm -hmm. as long as Jose Ramirez and Jose Zapata and their manager, Rick Merigian, are all okay with it and they do things in a transparent fashion, there should be no issue. And by the way, this is not the first time this and, occurred. And Al everybody, Heyman has a moment. Let me interject. Everybody understands. several fighters together. You had Frank Espinoza, who has had both sides of the coin on various occasions. As long as it's done in a manner in which the fighters are okay and they sign off on it, and no they issue. know what they're making and they know what the cut is and they know what they're making. Of that's course. the biggest, that's the biggest thing. And that's the point you were bringing up. And here we go back to premier boxing champions, for example, where it's understood that the, the fighters are under the same umbrella. They may not be under the same exact management. Now, another interesting thing, cause I read, I read the Muhammad Ali act. I didn't read all of it, but I read about 70% of it. There is every single boxing fan out there before they open their yap on Twitter or anywhere else about yeah. the business side of boxing should do themselves a favor and take, you know, five or 10 minutes and go actually read yeah. what the federal law of the United sure. States is. And, and in that act, it, it does specifically say, unless the fighter is promoting himself. And so that's where you'll hear a lot of the times these fighters are promoting themselves. That's how they skirt around it. That's, that's where the disclosure comes in from the boxing commission or whoever the promoter is. So again, they had the best of intentions. This is always the case with Congress, isn't it? They had the best of intentions with trying to regulate, trying to lay it out. Who's going to ultimately enforce it? That's a totally different argument. But there actually is a federal law on the books, the Muhammad Ali Act. Look, it's not, it's not perfect, but right. what that law has done over the last 20 plus years, and it's been part of our uh, you know, uh, law laws in the United States, I'm not saying it's perfect. Okay. You know, there's always a way to fix things, tweak things, improve things, but it has done good for many fighters because before that there was no element of, uh, of transparency. Now, again, I'm not saying it's perfect, but there are now, uh, promoters must give the disclosure. Now it's not perfect. Sometimes they give it like in the dressing room on the night of the fight, which at that point it's kind of too late maybe, but the point is that's not always the case. But those main event fighters who are making the bulk of the money related to an event, uh, it's, it's, it's become part of 
how you do business. And it's, I think it's a good thing. I'd like to see there be improvements to it, uh, but uh, better to have it than not to. You just understand where I'm coming from. I question my own sanity enough as it is. And then you're smacking me for something that I thought I remembered correctly. And it turns out I was correct because I was doing radio interviews about this when they were rejoicing. So we're back on track. We're all good. I felt I feel better about myself now about this. And we can move on on the podcast. Can we not? We can we move can. on to all the news of the week and what's happening. So it has not been an ultra busy week. There are a couple of things uh, of note. Let's talk about first and then we'll move on. The Jake Paul Tommy Fury fight we knew was likely kaput and gone because Fury can't get in the country for visa reasons. All right. That officially happened midweek. On Thursday, as we tape the podcast, it is now out. It's not confirmed by Showtime, but Jake Paul announced it that it's going to be Hasim Rahman Jr. that will be his opponent in the headlining fight pay-per-view August the 6th. All right, so we know that. I guess I just want to come at it from this aspect. Is Rahman Jr. legitimate enough? It's the first credible boxer that he's fought. Is this a legitimate challenge to Jake Paul? Give me some education on Hasim Rahman Jr., please. First of all, he's the son of the former heavyweight champion, Hasim Rockman. He wasn't just a belt holder. He was the bonafide, legitimate, universally recognized champion of the world. He laid out Lennox Lewis with one punch in South Africa on a, uh, on a dark uh, Johannesburg morning at about 5 a.m. to have the United States broadcast be back here on HBO in prime time. And it was one of the biggest upsets in the history of heavyweight boxing. You know, it's, on, it's, it's not at the Buster Douglas, Mike Tyson level, but it's certainly at the level of Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, and Andy Ruiz, Anthony Joshua, that type of upset. It was a massive, massive upset. I covered it in, in minute detail at the time I was working for USA Today. Uh, I've always had uh, a friendly relation with Rockman. I remember seeing his son when he was a kid. Now he's a grown man, 31 years old. Uh, and look, if Jake Paul does in fact get in the ring with him, say what you want, but he is an actual professional boxer. He's not a guy that dabbles in it who is also trying to be a, a movie star or a, a UFC fighter or a basketball player or a, a social media influencer. He's a boxer. Um, now, how good of a boxer is he? Is he good enough? Does he have the skills enough to, to deal with a guy like a Jake Paul, who is an undefeated fighter, but still a, a relative novice? Uh, probably. I mean, he is 12 and one. He's also 31 years old. So he's not a young guy. He's had fights where he's, you know, look, this fight uh, when Jake was contracted to fight Tommy Fury, I believe the fight was contracted at like 190 pounds or something like in the high mm -hmm. 180s, something along those lines. Hasim Rockman Jr. in his last fight that was on April 29th in Las Vegas, the night before the Shakur Stevenson Oscar Valdez fight at a hotel, the Virgin Hotels in Vegas, he was 224 pounds. So Rock Jr., if this fight actually is signed and announced, it's going to have to probably, number one, lose a little weight, uh, which could not, you know, which might be a problem for him because he's had many mm -hmm. fights that have been well over 200 pounds. He's basically a heavyweight, unless Jake Paul agrees to go up uh, a little bit in terms of what the contract says. So that's something that hasn't been disclosed. But when he did have that fight back on April 29th, he got knocked out in the fifth round by uh, James McKenzie Morrison, the son of the late heavyweight star Tommy Morrison. It was a right. card where they had some, you know, some of the fights were sons of famous fighters fighting each other. Uh, and so he did get knocked out. It was his first loss. Um, so that's, that's a negative thing about it. But the fact is he's a, an actual boxer. Now there's some video floating around there in the, uh, in the social media, uh, sphere where Jake Paul and Hasim Rockman Jr. have sparred in the past. I'm sure that, that, that was what, however that went down, that had to be in Jake Paul's mind when deciding whether or not he was going to fight this guy. Obviously he and, uh, and I guess his team feel that it, that, that that experience was good enough where it makes it worth the gamble to fight him. Uh, my understanding is that there are people in the Jake Paul camp who don't want him to fight Hasim Rockman Jr. Mm. We'll see how that goes. And there's also a question. And again, I'm not, I don't know for, for sure, but there's a, a Greg Cohen, the longtime promoter has said to me in a, in a series of text messages and gave me a quote about it, that he says he's the exclusive promoter of Hasim Rockman Jr. Um, I know I know Greg has worked with Rockman Jr. since his professional debut. I can't speak to what the official paperwork is, but I know that Greg has also had a long-standing, very close relationship to Hasim Rockman Sr. They're 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 you know they've been together for many 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 years. Uh, so that you know 
Greg wants the kid to get the fight, but he all, you know, get the opportunity. But and Cohen told you, we don't have anything signed. I don't have anything signed. Well, no, right? what it was, what the way it was termed to me is that if they want to do the fight, no one on the Jake Paul camp from either Jake, his lawyer, the people at MVP promotions, his partners, whatever, no one has contacted Greg. Now, I can't speak to whether they actually have mm -hmm. a contract. I can only say to you what Greg has said to me, which is I've, I'm his exclusive promoter. We have had uh, you know, a deal. We've been together a long time. Look, and even on the last fight in April, if you go look at the, at the signage, at the, at the advertisements for that, you know, Greg Cohen Promotions' logo was on that paper. On that, mm -hmm. uh, now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's, there's a contract, but you know, it's boxing, so you just never know. And by <laughs> the way, if it's a problem, you know, those who care to look it up on Google know that back in the day when Haseem Rockman Sr. was a top heavyweight, particularly when he won the title from Lennox Lewis, there was a whole lot of promotional issues when he broke apart from Cedric Kushner and there was a lot of stuff that wound up in court, et cetera. So Rockman taking money from Don King and not taking the money from HBO. There, there's you know, the, um, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, let's say. All right, so there we go there. And then we go back to the regulation, the Muhammad Ali Act, and, uh, you know, but, but again. So we'll see. If, if this fight happens, right. it, it, it does seem like a little bit of a test for him on a, on a same level as a Would Fury. you say, along those lines, this is a bigger threat than Tommy Fury? Just on paper, if it happens, is Rockman Jr. a bigger challenge, a bigger threat? It's an upgrade in that regard? I would say it probably is because, A, Haseem Rockman Jr., is just a bigger guy, number one. Number two, he's got more professional experience than Tommy Fury. Number three, uh, it's not a guy that's gonna have to travel, you know, across the ocean to from another country. He's fighting basically, you know, you know, he's from Baltimore. He's fighting in New York. It's like it's a not. I'm not gonna say it's his hometown, but it's, there's not the the um, the need to acclimate yourself to your surroundings. This is not a guy that has never been to New York City before. Um, point is. He's from the same country. He's got more professional experience. He certainly has the pedigree in terms of his father being a former heavyweight world champion. He's an actual boxer, uh, but been doing it longer than Tommy Fury. He's much older than Tommy Fury. Tommy Fury is 23 years old. Uh, Haseem Rockman Jr. is 31 years old. He's also coming off a knockout loss. Um, I view it as, as, a, as a small upgrade and like largely a lateral move, but probably I would say on a scale of one to 10, you know, if uh, if you looked at Tommy Fury as like, you know, in terms of stepping up the level of opposition for Jake, like a seven or an eight, because it's a professional boxer, maybe Rock Jr. is like an eight and a half. It's a All small, right. it's an incremental step up, it seems to me. Uh, but let's see if it's actually done. And if it is, you know. We'll see what happens. Because, and by uh, the way, we released the podcast on Friday, and you may know this is done or this is blown up, and, and it would not. Nothing surprises me with nothing. the Jake Paul, Logan Paul circus, and all of that. And nothing would surprise me here that it doesn't happen. But Jake Paul put it out there. Let's see if it gets made official on that. Moving on to more uh, of the what ifs and the hypotheticals. Okay, Eddie Hearn made a comment midweek uh, to uh, a video boxing show where he basically put it out there that he's in negotiation with Dmitry Bivol, the WBA unbeaten Russian light heavyweight world champion, uh, to fight his fighter, Joshua Buoutsi, uh, who's one of the contenders, not the top contender uh, in the WBA, and that nothing's agreed to. Here we go again with the hypotheticals, but they are talking. So that, that kind of set into motion a reaction from Oscar De La Hoya on Wednesday night to say, well, wait a minute, on social media, Zerto Ramirez is the number one guy for the WBA. All right, Dan, what do we make of this? Uh, is, this is this the normal shenanigans, public negotiation going on? What do, what do you make of Bevel and his day? He's got to fight somebody in the next fight. What do you make of the whole situation? Go ahead. Well, Eddie promotes Buatzi, and he's the co-promoter of Bevel. Of course, he wants to keep it in-house and do his own fight, get his guy Buatzi, an opportunity to fight for the world title. Uh, he's promoted Joshua Buatzi since he turned professional after the Olympics in 2016 and, uh, and claimed the medal for Great Britain. Uh, so he's doing his job in that respect as the promoter for both guys. Um, of course, he's doing what he, what, he, what he needs to do. Buatzi's you know, a fighter on the rise. Uh, he's coming off some, some solid victories. Uh, I don't know if he's ready for a title shot, but that's, not, that's different than, than the business side of things. That's a matter of the athletic part of it you know if you talk to Virgil Hunter who is the trainer for Buatzi he said I think in no uncertain terms that 
He loves what he sees, but doesn't think he's quite ready for that. But be that as it may, uh, they'll try to make that fight. Also, and Eddie knows this, Zerto Ramirez is a much more dangerous opponent, at least at this exact moment in time, for Dimitri Bivol than Joshua Boatze is. And that's no knock on Boatze. He's a hell of a prospect, young contender, let's call him. He's probably more than a prospect. But at this moment in time, uh, Zerto Ramirez is a more complete fighter. He's fought better opposition. Uh, you know, he brings a lot, of the, a lot more to the table competitively, in my mind, than Josh does. Uh, and Oscar's point of view is, my man Zerto, in his last two fights, has fought two official WBA eliminators. He's won both fights in style, and he should be next. Now, I'm not sure, because the WBA loves to keep things murky so they can get away with shit. <laughs> what a surprise. Uh, it's not clear to me when the mandatory is due. Nobody's disputing that Dimitri Bebo's mandatory challenger for that title is Zerto Ramirez. That is unequivocal, unless they just blatantly lie, which I wouldn't put past them, but that's besides the point. Uh, Zerto is the mandatory. The question is, when is that mandatory due? And if you look back on the Bebo recent record, it doesn't seem to my eyes that he's had a mandatory fight for a long, long time. So, uh, you know, that's going to be something that Oscar... Uh, is going to have to hash out with uh, the folks at the WBA, Gilberto Mendoza. Uh, my luck. recommendation, good luck. My recommendation to Oscar would be instead of going on social media and moaning and bitching about it, pick up the phone and call Gilberto. Send him a text message. Send him an email. If Oscar, if you're watching our podcast and you need his contact information, hit me up. I've got it, no problem. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure that Bevel is not going to be forced to fight Zerto in his next fight. That's my. Uh, well, and you make the opinion. great point before we move on, and we'll get to Danny Garcia in a couple moments, is you're jeopardizing a whole lot if you put him in there with Zerto Ramirez and Zerto Ramirez beats Bivol before he can fight Canelo Alvarez again. The impact of the rematch with Canelo goes way down if somebody beats him before then. So I, I think that's the most valid point here. He <clears throat> may fight no one if he has to fight Ramirez before he fights uh canelo alvarez again just because the canelo alvarez fight easily worth three or four times what he can get to even fight zerto ramirez maybe more than that look it all comes down to what the wba says is the time frame for when the mandatory is due but i understand uh the frustration on the on the on the behalf of golden boy oscar zerto because two things one he's fought two eliminators and won them both yep. and two a fight between zerto and, and bevel was something that golden boy and and matchroom were discussing probably a year ago. This is a fight that they've tried that they wanted to make at least the Golden Boy people, and and it feels like the uh, matchroom side was giving them a little bit of a lip service situation, thinking maybe they would get the Canelo fight. And I don't even, by the way, don't get me wrong. I in no way, shape, or form do I begrudge uh, Dimitri Bivol and matchroom and their teams from going towards the Canelo rematch rather than Zerto Ramirez. Obviously. Of course. But now that that's over and the rematch between Bevel and Canelo is not going to be next because Canelo obviously is fighting Gennady Golovkin come September, uh, you know, it's only right in my mind that he should fight uh, Zerto Ramirez. I mean, it's prize fighting. You know, if you win, you move on. If you lose, it's not like your career is over. Uh, Dimitri Bevel is still an excellent fighter. He's undefeated. If he happens to pick up a loss and it comes against a top, top guy like Zerto, you know, uh, you just dust yourself off, hopefully. But uh, look. It's the WBA. They're the ones that are going to decide whether this mandatory defense is due or not. And if so, when, and we'll take it from there. All right. We will find out in the light heavyweight ranks, what happens there. What we do know is that Danny Garcia is back in the ring later this month. Dan Rayfield had a chance to speak with him one-on-one -on -one about his inactivity for the last year and a half or so about moving up in weight and much more. As Dan has already said on this podcast, He's been with him almost every step of the way from the career opener, the debut to winning world titles, et cetera. Let's get into that conversation right now here on the show. So the, the last time you and I spoke, uh, you probably don't remember. I do. It was, I was, you were getting ready to fight Errol Spence Jr. Uh, challenging him for his welterweight title. That was a year and a half ago. And you haven't fought since then. And uh, the first thing I was interested in is, and I'm glad to see you're coming back, number one, but in that year and a half layoff, what, what have you been doing besides making a lot of Instagram videos with your cool clothes and your kids? <laughs> you know, just catching up with the fam, enjoying, enjoying the food of our labor, just enjoying life. You know, when you work hard, you got to enjoy life so, too. So I was just, um, yeah, just relaxing and giving my time, giving myself some time in this boxing. And now I'm back. And now you're back. And so that was my question. When you had the last fight with Errol, 
like I said, year and a half ago or so, uh, and, and you didn't win that fight and you decided to take a little time off. Was it a matter of, I just want to recharge and take time off? Were you contemplating retirement? Were you thinking about doing something else? What was the reason for the long layoff? No, I knew I was going to fight again. I knew I was going to fight again 100%. I just needed time off. I felt like I was, I was a little bit mentally tired. And I feel like that's why the fans didn't get the best Danny Garcia that night when I fought Spence. Because I, I felt like I was a little bit mentally tired. Um, so I just needed time to let my brain rest. Let my brain rest, let my body rest. And um, just watch the sport of boxing, be a fan, and be a student of the game. And that's, and that's what I did for the last year and a half. Just watching all these young guys fight. Being a student of the game, let my body rest, having fun, and just getting ready to come back. And did watching those young guys and seeing all the activity going on while you're off, that sort of like uh, get you hyped up again, get your juices flowing again to get back in the gym yourself? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, it's all motivation. Everything was motivation. You know, one thing about it, I don't think people realize this. It feels like Danny Garcia been around forever, been around 15 years as a pro. But you turn pro such a young age that you're only 34 years old. It's not like you're an old man. And it seems to me anyway, you haven't taken like a huge amount of punishment by any means in your career. Is it just a matter of being a long career and like you said, just need a break? Or, or I mean, when you hear you've been around 15 years, does that blow your mind? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's crazy. That's a long time. But time flies. Time, time, I guess time flies when you're having fun. And, you know, I, was, I became a world champion in 2012 and I haven't fought in... All, I, I fought all world champions in 10 year span so when you put that much work in then sometimes you need a break and uh, sometimes a break is not a bad idea as long as you take care of your body and still keep your head in the game then um, a layoff shouldn't uh, affect you yeah exactly I don't disagree with that at all and you know and let's be honest a year and a half at uh you know at the highest level of a boxing really isn't the biggest deal I mean you have, uh, just as one example, you have uh, Abner Mares just announced he's coming back to the ring. He's been out of the ring for four and a half years. So a year and a half, certainly not that big of an issue in terms of your career. But I wonder when you, when you uh, Danny, when you decided, okay, it's time to, to, to dust off the equipment, get back in the gym, uh, you know, getting ready for another fight, get a fight squared away. What was the, uh, the thought process about, okay, I'm going to go up to junior middleweight? Because like I said, you've been a champ at 140. Been a champion at 147, fought all the top guys in those two weight divisions. Um, is it a matter of, you know, you're 34, it's hard to make the weight? Is it a matter of you looking for another title? Like, what was the reason to sort of make the choice to go to 154? I think it was a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything. I've been fighting 140, 147 since I was an amateur. Yeah. Um, in 2006 and 2007, well, I won the U.S. championship since 132, but 2000, in 2007, I moved up to 141. And that's when I was in Olympic Austin. So I've been fighting in that weight range my entire career. So I feel like I just need to let my body, you know, grow. Not grow as and get bigger, but let it relax and let it be energized. Because 154 is more like my natural weight. I just I just squeeze down my whole career to get to get to, to get down to 140, 147. But it was a little bit of everything. Yeah, I want to be a three division world champion. You know, I want to be like all the other greats, Miguel Cotto. Trinidad, they all did it. They went from 140, 147, 154, and I want to be in that. I want to be in that category when it's all said and done. Well, I noticed that you invoked the name of two of the great Puerto Rican fighters. And I know, even though you're not born in Puerto Rico, your background is Puerto Rican. Is that something you thought about when you made that call? Because you know the guys you just mentioned obviously are Puerto Rican greats. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't mean it. I didn't mention it to compare me to those guys, but those are guys I grew up um, grew up watching, like Cotto. Um, even like Shane Mosley, um, all the guys who've done it from one one forty, one forty seven, one fifty four. I want to, I want to do that. That's that was my, always my dream to be a three three division world champion. So the main goal then is to eventually win a title at one fifty four. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I want to do. Yeah, that's my um, that's my main goal. But right now we got to handle business. It's my first fight at one fifty four, and we got to take care of Jose Benavides. Right, I was going to say, I should mention that, that your upcoming fight is, in fact, July 30th on Showtime in the main event against Jose Benavides Jr. Uh, at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. And you mentioned about your goal being 154. So before I ask you about Benavides, when I think 154, and that's one of the beauties of having unification fights, and you've been in unification fights, maybe not for the undisputed titles, but certainly uh, unifications. Uh, 
at, at 154 pounds, the king of the hill is Jermell Charlo. He unified all the belts recently with his knockout of Brian Castaño. So when you tell me your goal is to be a junior middleweight world champion, it's not like you can go pick one of diff four different champions. There's just one guy right now. He fights in the same PBC universe that you fight in. Um, I know you know Jermell through the years. Is that a fight that you like down the road? Sure. Yeah, I definitely saw him and his brother. You know, we we were signed a Golden Boy in the very beginning of our career. So yeah. I, I've seen his career, him and his brother's career, start from from scratch. So, like I said, those guys, he earned it. He's the champion. And it won't be a hard fight to make. But um, right now, I, I really have to focus on just Jose Benavides. I got to be that Danny Garcia where he's only focused on the person in front of him. Understood. And then after that win, then after that, we can uh, we can talk bigger fights. So Jose Benavides, you know, when you say you're, when you're moving up to junior middleweight, it's not like you're going up to junior middleweight and you're fighting like a big junior middleweight, a guy that's been established in the weight class, that sort of thing. In Jose, you're fighting another guy with a similar weight trajectory as you. He was a junior welterweight. He was a welterweight. Um, had his last fight, obviously over the weight, but he's your same size. Uh, he's yeah. also been. He's been even. I mean, even though you haven't fought for a year and a half, he's been. You know, very inactive. He just had the two fights over the last several years. The loss to Crawford for a championship at welterweight had the what I thought anyway, frankly, was a generous draw with Torres in November. Um, to assess him as your opponent as the as the first guy you're coming back to after a while off. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I've seen his career. I think he was the regular WBA champion when I was a super champion at 140. So I, I, I've been watching his career too over the years. Like I said, I'm just not. A boxer. I watch everything. I follow the sport, so I know who he is. He knows who I am, and his name was brought to the table. His yeah. name was brought to the table, and I thought it makes a lot of sense, like you said. Um, he fought at 140 and 147, so it makes sense for my first fight at 154. And then after that, we could take on bigger and better challenges. He was actually the interim title holder at that point when you were doing your damage at 140. Uh, obviously, he didn't fight at that weight division. Um, do you feel like that he is okay. the ideal guy for the comeback, or were there other opponents that your team brought to you and you guys just decided, hey, we like the idea of Benavides, or was he pretty much the guy that was on the table from the beginning? To be honest, I really never check. I never really um, choose my opponents. They just uh, say a name, and then I say it makes sense, and this is what everyone wants to The network accepts it, and the promoter likes it, and I think it's a good fight, Then we always take it. But I never really sit down and pick my opponents. Understood. I just accept them. Yeah. So, but I think it's a great fight. He has a name. I have a name. And I think it's, I think it, I believe it's going to do great numbers. I think it's going to do better at the Barclays Center. Well, you bring up the Barclays Center, and, and I must say, uh, you're a Philadelphia fighter. We all know that. But you're home away from home, if you will, maybe even more so in terms of your boxing because you've had way more fights in Brooklyn than you've had uh, in Philadelphia. But this is going to be, and I actually had to go back and check this and, and count them up because it's been so many. This is going to be your ninth main event at Barclays Center. You were in the first main event ever in that building, which has hosted more than 40 events at this point, which was a spectacular knockout in your rematch. Uh, against Eric Morales in uh, October of 2012. So when you get in the ring against Benavides, it'll be just about almost 10 years uh, since you opened that building up uh, uh, for boxing. How how has a Philly kid become a star in Brooklyn? I don't know. You know, like I said, 10 years of fighting there and building a name. And New York, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of Puerto Rican fans. There's a lot of all types of fans. Like New York is the most diverse city probably in America, so it just, it would just went together like one and two, so, you know, I'm blessed. A lot of fighters never find their market, and I was blessed to find my market early. The fans love me there. I put on a lot of great shows, historic nights, and I'm happy to be there again for the ninth time so I think in 10 years. I would say that's uh, I don't I don't think you have the most fights ever at Barclays Center, but I think you have the most main events ever at Barclays Center, uh, and I think I've covered every single one of them. So I want to ask you your your thoughts about this. Of all those big fights you said, because they were all main events, you didn't you weren't like a young kid coming up in preliminary yeah. fights in the Barclays Center. You were fighting in the in the in the main fight there. Uh, You've had, uh, and, and uh, just to, to name a few, the knockout against Morales to open things up. You had the two big wins against the hometown fighters in Zab Judah and Pauli Malinaji that were both there. 
a very big win against Lamont Peterson, which should have been a unification fight, let's be honest, but you guys fought a little over the weight. Um, You also had two losses there, but they were huge events against Sean Porter and Keith Thurman in very, very exciting fights that were awfully close. Do you have a favorite fight or a favorite night that you had at Barclay Center? Because you had so many of your biggest nights there. Yeah. Uh, I would say two of my favorites um, is the first one versus Morales. Because that was the first one. I was the first championship fight there. Then I would say um, probably the second is against Zab Judah because I beat, you know, a legend in his hometown, and that was a great fight. And then I would say the third one was uh, the Thurman fight. You know, I think it was a great fight, close fight. Could have went either way. I thought I won, but it was a historic night, unification fight. And I think those were probably the top three for me at Barclays. Yeah, those are good. I mean, the Morales fight, uh, I thought that was super exciting just from the standpoint that, like you said, first one. And let's say uh, everybody that follows Danny Garcia knows that one of your your calling cards is that great left hook you had. And uh, I'm not sure I've seen a better left hook thrown in in my career, to be quite honest, than the left hook that landed on Morales that spun him around and knocked him out. Now, the question is, can you use that same left hook on on, uh, Jose Benavides come uh, July 30th? I think a lot of fighters are so worried about my left hook, you know, that they, they, they move away from it, they try to use their legs. So I'm, I'm going to put it in there. I'm definitely going to put it in there, but I want to I wanna set it up with something else. So I definitely want to land that big left hook, even a right hand. Whatever hits him, I want to hit him with. You know, like when I throw the left hook, I'm not planning on knocking him out. I'm just putting it there, and then it catches him and knocks him out. So I'm, I'm planning on just using all my tools. I would expect nothing less. I must ask one other question. I know you've talked about your excitement about coming back and getting back in the groove. I want to know, how excited is your father, Angel Garcia, your trainer, to be back in the spotlight, be back getting ready for you know a significant fight with you? Because he's been awfully quiet, too, for the last year and a half. Yeah, yeah he, uh, he's excited. He would ask me, like, every month, when, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? <laughs> every month, I'm like, give me some time. I'll let you know when I'm ready. He's like, it's been a year. When are you coming back? When are you coming back? He loves boxing more than me, so he, he wants me to fight every every month if I, if I can. But he's re- he's very excited, man. He's happy. He just loves being in the gym. He loves boxing. Boxing changes life, so he he just loves it. So he always wanted me to hurry up and come back. Well, I'll say this. On behalf of, I think, boxing fans everywhere, we're glad to have you back uh, in action, getting back in the ring July 30th, Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Uh, junior middleweight debut against Jose Benavides Jr. Danny Garcia, thank you very, very much for taking time to do this with me, and I wish you the best of luck on July 30th. Thank you. I appreciate it, Dan. So one more time, Dan Rayfield, uh, moving up in weight, and as he said to you, he intends to stay at junior middleweight at this point, tired of trying to make 147. So final thought here on that conversation, and we'll see Garcia at the end of the month. Danny has aspirations still in his career. He's been a, uh, a champion at 140. He accomplished a lot at welterweight, fought a lot of big fights, and he feels like from a competitive point of view and for his own um, uh, motivation, I guess, and, and legacy, if you will, is that it's time to move up and, and go for another title in a different weight class. I did make the point that people heard that, you know, the great thing about the junior middleweight division from the fan standpoint is, you want to be the champ. There's only one guy you got to fight. That's right. Because it's Charlo who's got all the belts. You can't go out there and pick and choose and cherry pick who you're going to fight. Uh, and, and Danny Garcia and Charlo, they know each other. They've been in that PBC universe for a long time. Um, I don't think he expects that fight's going to be right away or anything like that. But uh, it's certainly in the back of his mind that if he could lock up with Charlo, uh, that would be a, a fight that he would take. Now, he'd be a big underdog, it seems to me. Um, but I tell you what, Charlo's got other business to attend to with mandatory defenses and this and that. Um, but a couple of fights from now, while Danny gets acclimated to the weight class, you know, let him take care of a couple of those mandatories. If he looks okay, uh, Danny in his fights at 154, I'm down for that fight. Love all of this. Speaking of fights, we'll get into it. Magsayo and Vargas, WBC featherweight world title fight. We're talking that, the entirety of the Showtime PBC card. Heavyweights in London, too, as we, as we continue to preview uh, everything that's going to happen this weekend. Stay with us. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. We 
are back in one more time. The only place that you need to hop aboard for everything that's going on in the sweet science. We do our best to cover it, including in the preview mode here with the Big Fight Weekend preview. Reminder, again, we come your way with the Fight Freaks Unite recap, usually out late Sunday night, certainly for Monday morning to recap the weekend. We love being able to do that for you, and the audience has continued to grow and grow and grow. So let's get into it, Dan Rayfield. It is Saturday night back in San Antonio, this time the Alamo Dome that has seen some big-time uh, world title fights even recently. It will now see a WBC featherweight clash, the first title defense of Mark Magsayo uh, from the Philippines, battling Ray Vargas, a former champion at junior featherweight, moving up undefeated. Very interesting, very even fight here in the Showtime Premier Boxing Champions main event. Tell me more, please, sir. Well, as you said, Mike Sayo is going to headline this Showtime card in his first may, uh, first title defense against Vargas. He's coming off, obviously, a career victory, which took place uh, back in January when he uh, took a decision against Gary Russell Jr., who, uh, you know, had been inactive as usual, uh, had basically been holding the WBC title hostage for the last several years because of his once a year activity. And then even, you know, with the pandemic, two years without a fight, uh, he finally got in the ring. He fought uh, Magsayo. Part of that situation was he had a shoulder injury that ended up having surgery afterwards. Uh, his father, uh, Gary Russell Sr., was quite ill. And even though he was there ringside in a wheelchair, was not able to train Gary for the fight or be in the camp in a meaningful way. Uh, uh, sadly, uh, Gary Sr., who I always had, huge respect for was always a great guy and uh, I dealt with him on a number of occasions was a, was a gentleman uh, he passed in May uh, so certainly condolences to the entire uh, fighting Russell family um, so Gary had a lot on his mind that night I mean with with his father's situation uh, with the long layoff with his own injury situation um, you know so you know credit to him for for doing the fight but he wasn't himself that night he's maybe a little older maybe lost a little bit of a you know, of a, of a, of a steps, you know, cause at one point he was a blazing fast, the fastest hands in the business and just a magical kind of skills. Uh, but Meg Sayo was one of these, like, come right at you, look to take your head off a very aggressive fighter. But he got the better of Gary Russell that night. I mean, they called it a close call. It was a majority decision, but I don't think anybody, you know, that really watched that closely, if they go back and look at it again, Mark won that fight. Agreed. Um, big deal for him to, uh, you know, uh, win that title. You know, he's part of that Pacquiao, team so he was doing you know he was excited to have won a title and followed in the footsteps of his promoter and his idol uh, the great Manny Pacquiao uh and so he's confident from that you know he he you know he got the belt and I think it's going to boost his it's going to boost his confidence even more going into the fight with Vargas now Vargas in a similar way to Russell is also more of a boxer but within the confines of being a boxer a much different style than Gary Russell because number one Gary was a southpaw Vargas is right-handed Vargas is a much taller fighter, a much longer fighter. He tries to use that reach and height to his advantage. Uh, you know, he's only had the one fight at featherweight since his, he had a long layoff, partly because of the pandemic, partly because of injuries, partly because of promoter change, but he hadn't fought for two years either. Uh, and here he comes, you know, back, he gets that win at featherweight. And now a short time later, he's fighting for the title in a mandatory fight. Uh, it's a tough fight. It's a, it's a very, very, different kind of style matchup that these two guys possess. And in the, in the pre-fight comments, McSayo spoke about the fact that he knows that Vargas is going to try to use the height, try to use the reach, probably going to try to, you know, run a little bit, move a little bit and, and basically not try to engage him. Mark is hoping that he doesn't do that, but he says he's ready. If he doesn't, he's going to, you know, get the right distance and chop him down and, and get to him. Um, this fight's either going to be action because McSayo can inflict himself on, Vargas or it's going to be a real stinkeroo because Vargas will inflict <laughs> his style on Mark Magsayo. I so, like that. I like that. You know, very even This one on could really odds. go either way. It's very even on the odds, too, to your point. Magsayo is only minus 105 from our friends at BetUS. Vargas minus 125. Uh, interesting. Uh, and we'll be, we'll be talking uh, pre-plug here more on the BetUS Friday preview show, the boxing show. We'll be talking more um, about these odds, but uh, under uh, over under is 10 and a half rounds here. The under prop is pretty decent. If you might play that, I look at this probably as a distance fight here from these two guys. Fair assessment. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, if, if Mike Sio can land the big shots, maybe he can get him out of there. I mean, look, these guys, uh, whatever you think of their, their, their resumes, their styles, 
you know, their opponents, they're like 59 and 0 combined. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Ray has been a, uh, was a, was a, a champ at 122 pounds who held the bell for a while. Meg uh, uh, Sayo is coming off a career, big win over Gary Russell. They both have two of the greatest trainers in boxing history, backing them up. Meg Sayo fights uh, with Freddie Roach as his said trainer. Uh, Ray Vargas fights with the great Nacho Beristein as his, as his trainer. So these are professional teams. This, this is a, it's a, like I said, it, I think it has the possibility to be an exciting fight, but I think it also has the possibility to be a horrible fight. It, it really can go either way, but, but on paper, you can't argue with it. It's, it's two quality guys, both undefeated, both with, uh, you know, some solid wins, both with great camps, you know, behind them, you know, to me, flip a coin. I, I, I tend to, you know, I learned a long time ago, you know, all things equal, you know, you're good to go with the boxer. And in that case, it's, it's Ray Vargas, but uh, you know, McSayo is so hungry and so youthful and so, uh, uh, focus, it seems to me, that uh, certainly he's got a chance to, to win the fight. I mean, again, I haven't seen the actual number. I'm not sure who's officially the favorite, who's officially the underdog. Maxayo is minus 105, but again, Vargas minus 125. So there, I mean, it's almost yeah. dead even from the odds makers here. If you're looking at a decision, for example, uh, here on this fight, Vargas to win by decision is plus 140. Mag Sayo to win by decision is plus 200. So it's a very even fight from the odds makers here, a 50 50 well, fight. They believe it doesn't surprise me. Mag Sayo is certainly the better puncher. Uh, he's the younger fighter. He's 27. Uh, Ray Vargas is uh, 31. He did have the fight not that long ago, but before that was off for a long time. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, you just got to probably go with your gut and, uh, and hopefully sit back and just enjoy the fight. I mean, like I said, I really truly believe. We're either looking at a real interesting uh, quality fight, which would, I'll put it like this, TJ. The better the fight is for us, the viewers and fans, the worse it is for Ray Vargas. The worse it is for us as fans watching, the better it is for Ray Vargas. Because that means he's boxing and he's doing his thing. Because clearly you're telling us he does not want to go toe-to-toe. He does not want to stand in front of him. And so he's going to do his best to have that not happen, which could turn it into a bit of a snooze if Mag Sayo can't close the distance, can't cut the ring off. And I like the way you put that. What may stink for us as a viewer is good for him. That means his game plan is succeeding. So I like that. I like that on that end. All right, Cole but it's a, wor- it's a worthy main event, though. All I mean, right, especially in a, and, and on a sleepy Sayo summer weekend. And May- Mag Sayo may get to him very quickly and cut the ring off, and then it's on. And then we'll we'll see what Vargas can or can't do, uh, whatever his tactics are. I'll say this, though. I've, seen Var- I've been watching Ray Vargas fight for a number of years, for a long, long time. And uh, unless I'm just miss, uh, you know, I just don't remember, I can't say that I've really ever seen Ray Vargas in any kind of trouble. There you go. Good to know for Saturday night. Uh, in that one. All right. So co-feature fight has Brandon Figueroa, the heartbreaker, Brandon Figueroa in action for the first time since he lost an all out phenomenal uh, brawl battle with Stephen Fulton uh, Figueroa now competing as a featherweight has moved up four more pounds and competing as a featherweight. Uh, tell me more okay. about the opponent here in the, in the uh, co-feature. Cause I defer to you whenever we have these Carlos Castro is the opponent. Figueroa is favored former world champion at 122. Tell me more about Carlos Castro. What kind of fight do you think this is, Dan? Castro's a good fighter. I mean, he's 27-1 and one with 12 knockouts. Uh, his one loss, though, was in his last fight. He lost in February. He lost to Luis Neri, who was a former champion at Bantamweight. They were fighting, uh, you know, also in a, in a junior featherweight fight. Uh, so he's moving up to fight Figueroa, but Figueroa also is moving up. So it's sort of like two junior featherweights who are now campaigning uh, in the in the, uh, in the featherweight division. So on paper, it's a pretty solid matchup. Um, you know, Figueroa is a guy that just love, comes to bang and brawl. We've all seen that happen. We saw the Fulton fight, as you mentioned, he lost a very close fight. It was certainly one of the best fights of, uh, of last year, just a, a outstanding battle, close fight, uh, to, to unify their titles. You know, Fulton got a little bit of a better of it and, uh, couldn't get the rematch. And so now he goes up to featherweight to try out uh, a new weight class. But, you know, it's not like they match him with a soft guy. Castro, just because he's coming off a loss, first of all, was a split decision against uh, another quality guy in Neary. And, uh, you know, he's, he's beating like Cesar Juarez, who's been around the block and fought a lot of guys, beat Oscar Escondone, who's been in the ring with a lot of guys. Um, so, he, you know, he's beat Genesis Cervania, who gave Oscar Valdez a hell of a fight a couple of years ago. So he's got it. Look, it should. I see why Figueroa is the favorite in the fight. But from an action standpoint, this one definitely sizes up like a good fight. 
Um, you know, I think they put together a, a pretty good card. I'm sure uh, that uh, Figueroa being the Texas fighter uh, and the, and the Mexican American also like Casho, but he's going to have the crowd behind him in terms of the, 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 the folks that show up at the Alamo dome. But uh, again, as a support fight for uh, a quality main event, I'm in. I do think this will probably turn out though, TJ, that probably will be from an entertainment point of view. It, it does look like on paper to be a, a better fight for the fans than the main event, even though the main event is a, a solid matchup. Also. Sure. Figueroa is favored heavily by the odds makers. Bet us line has a minus six fifty or six and a half to one. Seems a little steep to me. It's all right. Castro plus four twenty-five. Interesting. The over under is 10 and a half rounds uh, in this one. The under prop is paying plus two ten. If you go under 10 and a half rounds, that is a little juicy. Again, a tease. Uh, if you're hearing us in advance for the Bet US Friday live preview show at 1 Eastern time on Bet US TV and the YouTube page, I might be interested in that under for Figueroa uh, Castro here. One more quick comment before we move on on the card, the Showtime PBC card Saturday, because I know you want to talk about Frank Martin here in just a second. Uh, do you believe this seems, it's not hard to figure these things out, this seems that if Figueroa wins and wins spectacularly, let's say, they have him in line for the winner of Magsayo and Vargas for that WBC belt. I know Gary Russell might factor in as the former champion for a rematch with Magsayo, maybe. But clearly, they they would be interested in that with Figueroa, right? If he's spectacular, he could be an option for the winner of the main event. Not a coincidence. Yeah, I don't even think he has to be spectacular. But certainly, if you, if you follow the way that uh, promoters and TV networks program and match matches and put these cards together... You have the featherweight title fight in the main event, and you have uh, an eliminator slash fight in the same weight class on the under on, on the co-feature. Obviously, uh, depend you know however the, the co-feature goes, whether whoever the winner is certainly puts himself in a position to fight the winner of the main event. All right. And uh, by the way, that's that's as it should be because yes. that's that's uh, you know you're you're creating the next opponent for the fight that theoretically the most people are tuning in for, which is typically the main event. All right, so we'll see about those. Frank Martin, outstanding lightweight prospect, and, and in lightness here because he's had an opponent switch because of a visa issue. He is also on this card. I know you're anxious to see him in action on Saturday. Tell us more, Dan. Well, he's in the opening fight on this broadcast. Showtime has a triple header uh, starting at 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, he was supposed to fight Ricardo Nunez, who's probably most known for getting knocked out by Gervonta Davis all, not all that long ago. Uh, but that was supposed to be Frank's opponent, which was still a step up considering Frank is only 15 and 0 and has not really fought top guys just yet. He's still making his way up the ranks. He's part of the Errol Spence uh, stable of fighters, uh, trains uh, with, uh, you know, that same group with, uh, you know, with them down there in Dallas. Uh, and anyway, he's supposed to fight Nunez. Nunez had uh, the visa problem, got a, got bumped out of the fight. So they bring in, you know, a lot of times you get a late replacement. It's, it's either a worse opponent or it's nobody ever heard of. In this particular case, you know, good on PBC and uh, TGB promotions for doing their due diligence. I'm pretty sure they had uh, Jackson Marinias already on standby just in case there's an issue. Uh, PBC and TGB have excelled uh, during the pandemic times, whether it's corona related or uh, just other things. It could be an injury of some other kind or the other illness or a visa uh, that Marinias is on standby. And it's sort of like it's still a good step up for Frank Martin. Now, even though Marinias, uh, he's lost his last two fights and he's coming off a layoff. But remember one thing. In his last fight, he got stopped by Richard Comey, who was a former lightweight title holder, who's a very good fighter. He stopped him. That was not the best loss I've ever seen. But before that, in the previous fight, he went the distance uh, in an interim title fight with Rolando Romero, Roly Romero. And most people thought that he deserved to get the win. And when they called the decision, they raised Roly's hand. And there was a lot of agita and, and upset folks out there because they felt like Jackson Marinas got screwed out of that victory. So Roly Romero got a lot of attention, got the big fight against Trevante Davis, put on a, a, a good performance until the stoppage. Um, and so he comes to this fight at least having had the experience of uh, a basically even kind of fight with Romero. However, you saw the result that was still close. And then, of course, uh, you know, there's no uh, shame in if he gets stopped by Richard Comey, a former title holder who's a hell of a puncher. Uh, so even though he's had two losses in a row for Frank Martin, who's 15 and 0, this still represents a step up in competition. And, uh, you know, that was a good save from everybody involved at PBC, Showtime, uh, TGB, to get him into this fight. And uh, as, as an appetizer, if you will, as the opener, um, you know, it shapes up like 
an, an interesting fight to get things kicked off. So you put that fight in the ring and you got the fight we just talked about with Figueroa uh, going up against Castro and then the undefeated fighters in the main event for the title and featherweight division. But, you know, to me, uh, it's a pretty good triple header. And, uh, and on, a, on a weekend where there's not a lot of their stuff going on, you know, I'm looking forward to checking it all out. That's good. Again, Martin is heavily favored on the BetUS line. He's a really good prospect, by the way. I can't... And you've been talking him up. I'm anxious to see what he can do here. And it may be a bit of a challenge because this is a guy he's not been prepared for except in the last couple of days. Let's see how he solves that part of the no, challenge. I'll tell you this also because exactly. Frank works. He's trained by, like I said, he's in the Errol Spence camp. So his trainer is Derek James. When I had Derek on the podcast and interview a few weeks ago, Derek and I spoke about Frank. We spoke mostly about uh, his two main fighters, uh, you know, being uh, uh, Charlo and Errol Spence. But we did spend some time talking about Martin. And uh, and Derek is is very high on him also and thinks he's got a lot of uh, potential to go a long way. And, and he was a good amateur. He's not a young guy. He's not like a 22-year-old kid. He's 27. So he's not – I don't think they're going to have to baby him and bring him along at a slow pace at this stage of the game. You know, you get past Jackson Mourinhoz in solid fashion, you know, you're definitely going into bigger and better things. Okay, one more uh, to go over here on the Big Fight Weekend Preview, and that is the Matchroom Boxing Heavyweight Main Event that is coming for Saturday uh, night in London, Saturday afternoon, U.S. time. Uh, that is Derek Warchasora, Kubrat Pulev. Uh, look, I, I would love to sit here and say on the podcast that I am overwhelmed and looking forward to this. I will pay attention to it because I'm looking forward to heavyweights. Uh, look, I, we will pay attention to it. It is heavyweights, but forgive me. Neither one of these guys has, has won a significant fight in the last three or four years and they're fighting each other. So it's there. I, I will pay attention. We'll have a recap up. We'll have a preview up on the site. We'll have a recap up on the big fight weekend website, but on a scale of one to 10, cause you were doing one to 10 earlier, this is about a four or a five for me. Do you want to sell me that it should be better than that when Chisora's lost nine times, including literally like five times in the last five years? Pulev has two or three losses recently. Listen, it's not my, it's not my job to sell their fight. Yeah. But if you just like heavyweights, we're just going to probably come at each other and go for it, especially if you know Chisora. There are a lot worse fights you could make. I'm definitely interested in watching this fight because it doesn't have title implications. It's not anything about the pound for pound list. It's just two guys in the twilight of their career, probably near the end, who are probably looking to try to get one more score if they can after this. They're going to go in there. They're going to, you know, beat up on each other. Uh, you know, Eddie Hearn and the folks at Matchroom, they call in the fight total carnage. I think that's a little bit of a over estimation of what the seriously do either one of them do either one of them really have anything left in your opinion do either one of them kapulev is 41 he fought jerry well, forrest on. recently looked okay do either one of them really have a lot left if anything he did just beat jerry forrest you know it wasn't the greatest fight ever but he did beat him soundly uh back in may when he got knocked out in his previous fight at the end of 2020 by anthony joshua again i'm not making excuses i'm just keeping it real he he was like a, a week after having been sick with covid but it was a mandatory fight that had been postponed several times. Who knew what was going to happen? There was millions and millions of dollars riding in that. He had no choice. He fought the fight. He got stopped, whatever. I'm not, I'm not saying he would have beaten Anthony Joshua. Right. I think he was perfectly healthy. But that, that can mitigate what happened, at least a small amount. And the Forrest win was solid. And he put together you know, a pretty good stretch of wins since he lost to Klitschko all the way back in 2014. He'd beaten other guys. So you know, Pulev at 41, he also, by the way, we're not talking about this because it's not on the official boxing record, but he did partake and win in the uh, Triller Triad Combat kickoff event. Again, but they were in there <laughs> taking punches and doing their thing. He All won right. that. So he may be 41, but in my opinion, he's got more left than Chisora, right. who's a, a younger man compared to him. So again, Chisora, look, the, here's the bottom line, TJ. Pulev is still a good heavyweight. He may not be number one. Think whatever you want about Chisora, his record, and the number of losses. He's lost three in a row. He's fought everybody. He gives you value. As the Brits love to say, he gives you value for money. So if you live in the United States and you or anywhere where you subscribe to DAZN, and you're looking for something to do on Saturday in terms of the boxing uh, space, and there's not some other big sports event on, uh, which there isn't unless you're a diehard for uh, you know regular season Major League Baseball. Right. Uh, and you don't have to go to one of your kids' friends' birthday parties, which I refuse <laughs> to do. 
watch the fight, man. It's heavyweights. Yeah. You don't even have to sit on your couch. Very you your interesting. Phone. Fairly even from the odds makers. Uh, I think Pul it's going to be a good fight. Pulev favored on the bet US line minus two seventy five. Doesn't surprise me. Uh, over under 10 and a half rounds. The under is paying plus 160. I don't know that Chisora can make it 12 rounds. He looked exhausted in that fight with Joseph Parker last December. Uh, in, well, any of, in any event, there's, I mean, it's a, it's a fairly even heavyweight fight. I will watch. I'm not saying I'm not watching. First I of all, the not. thing about Chisora, he's only been stopped three times in all those 12 losses. He's got one of the great chins in boxing. I mean, this man stood up to the thunder of uh, Vitaly Klitschko for 12 rounds for crying out loud. He is, you know, he got stopped by Dillian White, but it was in the 11th round. You got to go back right. several years for that. You know, he's losing fights by split decision. He to lost Joe to Usyk by decision. He knocked him down. Lost to Usyk yeah. by decision, right? Usyk but he gave Usyk a tough fight. That was a, that was not a, that was not a blowout. That was a pretty, I'm looking at the scores here. That was, that was a pretty competitive fight that they had there. So, you know, he also, by the way, this is a rematch too. They fought Kubrat Pulev and, and, uh, Chisora back in 2016, and Pulev won a split decision. Obviously, they were much more closer to their best days at that point. Um, you know, and Pulev, look, they made this match on, I won't say they make it on short notice because they've had, obviously, a while to do it, but he was not Pulev their first selection. Well, Pulev fought, what, in April, right, or in early May? So he's back. That was when he fought on the Triller card. He's, he's yeah. back in, like, two months. Let's hear it for that. Let's stay active. Yeah, absolutely. Like he didn't take yeah. any punishment against Jerry Forrest. Uh, he came out of that with a win, and uh, here he goes off to the UK to do this fight. Look, again, not not all main events are created equal. There are the super fights. There's you know the the Tyson Fury, Dillian White, two the champ against the top contender, ninety plus thousand at Wembley, big mega event. Right, and then there's a fight between two heavyweights who are just trying to hang on for their. Do careers. I have a fifty percent chance that there's some fireworks in the Chisora Pulev? Bout is there a fifty percent chance that we get some fireworks? I think you have a better than fifty percent okay. chance. All right, fair enough. Fair enough on that one. That's the matchroom main event, Saturday night UK time, Saturday afternoon US time. I think we pretty well come to the end. Anything else that you want to get off your chest? Are we good uh, for another edition good. of the preview? You think we're good? I think we're good. We're looking forward to that Showtime PBC card. It'll be later in the night US time. Again, triple header Frank Martin fighting in the first bout. Co-feature fight has Brandon Figueroa uh, in a in a featherweight in a step-up non-title bout, and then a featherweight title fight. Magsayo Vargas for the WBC 126-pound crown is the main event. Showtime PBC in the Alamo Dome. We love the Alamo City, even if the Alamo itself is by a gas station, as we've covered before on our shows <laughs> and on our stuff. The Riverwalk is still fantastic. We love the Mexican food. We love the San Antonio Spurs. Okay, uh, with that, Dan Rayfield, have a great weekend. We'll be reading you on the previews and the recaps of these fights this weekend on the Big Fight Weekend website. Appreciate it as always, sir. Always a pleasure. There is my man, Dan Rayfield. I'm merely TJ Reeves. Again, follow or subscribe to this podcast uh, on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get them. We're back with a Fight Freaks Unite recap off the weekend as well. You'll get that automatically if you're following and subscribing. For now, we're good. On the Big Fight Weekend Preview by 